You can keep your Bibles. I don't have a particular passage this morning. We'll be going to several passages of Scripture. If you'd like to, you can begin by turning to Philippians 4. That's where we will begin. It will be a little while before we get there, however. This will be a topical sermon. I, I don't preach too many of these. Um, but I want to talk to us this morning about the character of thanksgiving. Last year, around Thanksgiving, I gave a four-part sermon series on Thanksgiving. and uh, This year, we'll just do the one message. I pray that it will help us set our minds toward the concept, the character of thankfulness. Not the holiday as much as the concept itself. Those of you who have been in this church for a while have heard me say this before, but it bears repeating. Thanksgiving is, in reality, a concept that is uniquely Christian in character. I say that and it sounds proud and, and you might even be thinking, well, uh, Pastor, I, I don't agree with you there. But as I explain it, perhaps you'll, you'll see with me a little bit more what I mean. Certainly, the idea of a deity is very important to thanksgiving. A man who rejects any form of deity, any form of God, by default has lifted himself up as the end of all things. Consequently, he sees very little other than himself as the end of all things, very few to thank other than himself for getting him where he is, for his abilities, for his accomplishments. This is the pride of the man who rejects God, the atheist, the agnostic, a pride that leads men to become tyrants, a pride that convinces men that they can rule over other men, that they can judge other men, that they can kill other men, kill the unborn, kill the elderly, or people of a different race or nationality, culture, gender. When man exalts himself as God, he sees himself as the judge of all things. He uh, has few to be thankful, for, thankful unto other than himself for what he has and who he is. Now, the atheist, the secularist, we might say, would vehemently deny what I just said. In fact, um, they speak quite often of them being the most grateful of people because they can appreciate where they are at that moment. But thankfulness is not just about what we appreciate, it's about who we are appreciating or who we are appreciative unto. I'll talk about that in a moment. I was reading this week and an article came to my attention from thehumanist.com and they posted an article this past week giving some secular benedictions, replacements for the Thanksgiving prayer, replacements for the before you eat prayer, replacements for the um, prayer at, at uh, Christmas that you might lead before sitting down to a meal. See, because um, secularists are uncomfortable with prayer, and so, they, but they need something there, right? Something has to be said. So they gave some secular benedictions, and this was the one that they suggested for Thanksgiving. Listen to this. We pause on this Thanksgiving day to consider all we have to be grateful for, the wonders of the natural world and the beauty of each season in turn, the resources of this world to be valued and used wisely, for the people around the globe with whom we share common humanity and a desire for a better, more peaceful world. For the connection with family and friends who nurture and support us each day, especially for those gathered with us today. 
for the food we are about to share and for all who brought it to us, for the future and all the opportunities that are before us. We acknowledge all these things today with appreciation and gratitude. Sounds pretty good. But when we think about it from a biblical perspective, we say, is that all they have to be thankful for? You realize everything that they said they're thankful for is going to burn up one day. One day it will all be gone. Everyone to whom they are thankful unto will one day die. They're thankful to themselves for where they've gotten themselves. They're thankful to those who provided the food through their hard labor. It's very temporal. They're grateful for where they are and perhaps who they are, but only to the extent that they have found themselves in a good place. Only to the extent that they have good things are they thankful. Their thankfulness is up and down, wavering with the degree to which they see themselves as benefited from it. The emptiness of these words is palatable. There is no hope and no true target for their gratitude. And this is one of the things that I'd like for us to consider today about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not just about what we are thankful for, but unto whom we are thankful. Thanksgiving is about the target of our thankfulness. Who are you thankful unto for what you have, for what, where you've been, for your health, for your strength, for your provision? Is it just that you are nebulously thankful for things? appreciative for things. I can appreciate that, right? I can, I can appreciate, I can be grateful in some nebulous way for the things around me. Or are you thankful unto? See, as believers, we have an object. Say, well, what about the rest of the world? There's a very small portion of the world that, that believes in no God and even then they're contradicting themselves for no man truly... Um, no man can truly believe in no God. It's, it's written upon our hearts, the law of God. And um, men that claim to reject God outright have simply lifted themselves up as God and are denying what is written even upon their own hearts. But what about the world that, that operates within the realm of deity, within the realm of there being a God? A large portion of this world that recognizes some God, right? be it their ancestors or creation or some false spiritual or mystical being, be it some saint of years gone by, things found in the false religion of Islam and in the false religion of the emergent church and the uh, false religion of, of the majority of Catholicism. What about these folks? They can be thankful, right, Pastor? You say, you say Thanksgiving is by and large exclusively Christian, but, but what about these that do recognize some God? They can be thankful unto a God, right? It's true. But the problem is that it's false God that they're thankful to. It misses the mark. A person that thanks Mother Earth for life or a person that bows to an image of Mary or a person who bends his knee to Allah is giving credit where no credit is due. There, it's the same nebulous form of thankfulness that is, that is found in Atheism, agnosticism, humanism, secularism. The secularist is thankful to random chance processes for bringing them about. Thankful for them, to themselves for pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Thankful for the farmer who, who grew the food. Thankful perhaps to their parents for raising them. They see these people as the end of all things. Is it that much different 
for a deist to thank some false god Allah for the things that, that they have, they're still placing the thanks before the wrong feet. They're still pointing to thanksgiving where no thanksgiving is due. And so perhaps you see where I'm coming from. They're crediting something or someone who does not exist or who has no power or who in himself has been given everything that he has while missing out on the one who is truly worthy of the thanks. So in reality, as I present this perspective this morning, it is only the servants of the true and living God who are able to offer up true thanksgiving. And by that, I mean that it is both genuine in its intent, truly thankful, and it's worthy in its object, that the person to whom we're thanking is worthy of receiving those thanks. And that means that you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, have a great privilege as well as a great responsibility. It's your privilege to offer up genuine thanks, to be truly thankful, because you above all people know that anything you have and everything that you are is from God. James 1.17 tells us this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Within the context of the book of James, we see a contrast between spiritual temptation, which was what James was talking about just before this, which is not sourced in God, but rather sourced in our own wicked lusts, right? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's the context to this verse. So he's contrasting this idea of lust and sin with the good and perfect gifts that we possess, beginning with our redemption from our own sin nature and ending with our eternal life in heaven. And not only is it our privilege to be truly thankful, to have an actual deep-seated gratitude to someone other than ourselves, but it is also our privilege to be thankful, not to some dead God, not to a rock, or a tree, or chance, or another mortal, fallible human being, some person of interest or renown, but we have the privilege of being truly, genuinely grateful to the only one to whom any praise is due. And that is Jehovah God, the Father of lights, the one and only true God of all flesh. So I, I hope as you step into this Thanksgiving season that you recognize that you, God's people, should be above all zealous that you would communicate proper Thanksgiving in this season. That you would communicate to those around you not just that you are thankful for all that you have, even the little things, but to whom you are thankful. Don't rest just being thankful. Be thankful to God. And that's why, right before our prayer time, I, I was careful to, to direct thanks the way I did. Yes, I'm thankful for God's people, but more importantly, or more specifically, I'm thankful to God for God's people. Because God is the one who deserves the thanks for God's people, for what He's laid upon their hearts to do, and for what they have done. Not for me, Right? You haven't been doing these things for me, I hope. But for God. For God's work. 
here in Buffalo. As we point to the one to whom all goodness is due, we point others to Him as well. And that's why we're here, is it not? We're here to point others to God. Whereas the world around us will perhaps spend time focusing upon what they're thankful for, you have the opportunity this week to focus upon whom you are thankful to. There are so many directions we could go with a message on Thanksgiving. Even these concepts I've just presented, it could fill up our time this morning. But I'd like to go in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, This is still the intro. I'd like us to dwell for a few minutes on the character of true thankfulness, what it means to be truly thankful. What does thanksgiving look like? When you and your family, perhaps your extended family, your friends, stop to consider what you're thankful for. Maybe you'll do that this Thursday. We'll do it next Sunday. Um, whatever, whenever you're going to do this or if you do this, what should that thanks, thankfulness, that thanksgiving look like? So I'm going to give you five points today, the character of thankfulness. Perhaps you're in Philippians 4. If you're not, please turn there with me to Philippians 4 as we look at the first element, the first element of thanksgiving's character, and that is thanksgiving is trusting. Thanksgiving is trusting. Philippians chapter 4, I guess I should turn there too. Verse 6 says this, Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In these verses, Paul first gives a prohibition. He gives a negative command. Be careful, or anxious, that word means, for nothing. It is one of those King James words that needs explanation. Uh, Several modern translations have have changed the word to anxious, which is fine. It's a good translation to use the word anxious. I'm always telling my daughters to be careful. Be careful not to spill. Be careful on the ice. Be careful fill in the blank. The last thing I want for them to be, right, is careful for nothing. But I most certainly do want them to be careful for nothing. Let me explain to you what the King James means here when it says be careful for nothing. The word careful, as it would imply, means to be full of care for something. So as we've used the word in in the English language, the, the idea of being careful now has the idea of being safe or being watchful. But But the idea actually in the English language expands far beyond that to being full of care over something. Now, it's good to be full of care, if I'm walking on the ice, I'm, I'm being full of care that I don't slip on the ice. But in this particular context, particularly as we see the contrast between being careful for nothing and leaving everything before the Lord's feet in prayer, it has the idea of being anxious. And we, we already mentioned that. Stop worrying is what Paul's saying here. That's what he's saying. Stop worrying about things. And Paul tells us that the reason why we can be so Trusting The reason why we don't need to worry or be anxious over things is because we can take anything to God in thankful prayer. Prayer, because this is our means of communicating with God. Thanksgiving, because this is the context within which we can properly yield our circumstances unto the Lord. This is the context within which our prayers become 
trusting prayers. Look at verse 7. Paul says, when we do this, when we, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God, he says, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, that we're literally meaning to guard or to protect or to watch, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we take the things that we have in our lives and we place them before the feet of God and we're thankful to Him for all that He has done and for all that He's going to do, then we are in a place of trust. We will be brought to a place of trust where we recognize that all that God has brought into our lives is according to His good pleasure and in His control. And we yield that which is going to come so that regardless of the outcome, I have left it before the feet of God in thankful prayer and I know that it's in His control now. I don't have to worry about it. I can leave it at His feet. What peace. And that's the promise. That the peace of God, which passes all understanding, a peace that you can't understand. Have you ever been there? Where your family or your friends or neighbor says, I don't understand how you can be so calm with what's going on in your life right now. And you can't understand it either, but it's there. Because you've left it with the Lord. You've placed it before His feet in thankful prayer, saying, God, I know that you love me. God, I know that you're in control. This is yours. You can have it. And then you just do what you know God wants you to do and you leave the rest to Him. And you have a peace that passes all understanding that people can't understand, that you can't understand, but it's there. Thanksgiving is trusting. Second, so we consider the character of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is humble. Thanksgiving is humble. Thanksgiving brings us to a place of trust in God, but it also is rooted in humility. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. The second half of Romans 1 is we see Paul taking time to discuss the defiant unbelief of the unregenerate world. In verse 20, he tells us that the unbelief of the world is not because they don't know that there's a God, but because they don't acknowledge Him as God. Look with me in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. We'll read through verse 22. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." Rather than giving God the glory that is due to His name for His creation, rather than thankfully recognizing that God is the creator and sustainer of all things and giving God the glory unto whom it is due, verse 21 says that they, seeing God in creation, refused to give Him that glory, refused to give Him the credit for what He has done. And in doing so, the unbelieving world refuses God the glory due unto His name but also the thanksgiving that is due 
unto his name for the world which he has created. Can you see where I'm coming from by saying that thanksgiving is a uniquely Christian concept? Because what the Bible says is that when a man rejects the reality of the true creator God, what they are doing is that they are not giving glory where glory is due. They are withholding thanksgiving from the one to whom it is due. And as we consider a day where we take time to truly be thankful, how can we do that if we are not pointing that glory to whom it is due? How can we truly be thankful if we're not thanking the true and living God? That thanksgiving is missing the mark. I can shoot a bow and arrow at a target, but if I'm not hitting the mark, I'm not actually doing much that I set out to do. I can be thankful all day to Him and to her and to you and to them, but if I'm not being thankful to the God of all flesh, then I'm missing the mark on the true thrust of what it means to be thankful because thanksgiving all boils back down to God. The world refuses to give God the credit that is due unto Him. And why? Because if they give God credit for creation, they must also give God the credit as being the authority over creation. And if they call God the authority over creation, then they must say that God has authority over them. And the unbelieving world refuses to concede God's authority over them. They persist in rebellion, so they become foolish, thinking instead that everything was made from nothing or made from some false god, and their hearts are darkened to the truth, and they refuse to be thankful to God because they refuse to accept Him as their authority. And this problem is a problem of pride. Pride is the enemy of all virtue, and thanksgiving is a virtue. Pride is the enemy of thanksgiving. A proud man and a thankful man will not meet. Truly thankful man and a truly proud man will never intersect. And so inherently, the reality of thankfulness is the virtue of humility. A willingness to magnify the goodness of God above ourselves. Unless we forget, James 4.10 tells us, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. As we humbly give thanks to God for all that He has done, God does not forsake His privilege of exalting us to a place of spiritual blessedness. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is trusting. Thanksgiving is humble. Third this morning, Thanksgiving is dependent. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy 1. Thanksgiving is dependent. It's very similar in concept in some ways to pride versus humility. Look with me beginning in verse 12. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. And I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. The testimony of Paul to the minister Timothy in this epistle is one of dependence. Paul recognized very early in this letter that his abilities, that the ministries that he had, that all that he had 
that all that he had as far as ability, talent, and ministry, he had received. It had been given to him. And so, he was thankful. There's nothing in Paul's epistles that would ever give you the idea or the indication that he earned the right to be a minister of God. There's nothing in Paul's actions throughout the scriptures that give you any indication that he felt entitled to his office or to his ministry. He calls himself the chief of sinners. He has no idea why God called him into the ministry. He recognized that God placed him into the ministry, that God enabled him for the ministry, that, it, that God was the one who had done it from beginning to end. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul says from beginning to end, everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that I will be is by the grace of God. And every time Paul lifted his heart in thankfulness unto God, he was reminded of his dependence. This week you're going to sit at a meal, particularly young people. It's easy to take for granted food in this country, is it not? My, my daughters, it was a little while ago now, they were talking about food and giving that impression that food just is here. I mean, food is, right? We have food. Uh, there's always food. You can get food. They don't recognize the effort and the labor that goes into earning the money that becomes the food. They don't recognize the process of, of debating uh, how much money we can put into food, um, the elements of of. of sustaining our lives, uh, heat in our house and having a house and, and vehicles that work and, and all of these things cost money, a lot of money and that means effort and work for, for, for most of us in this country, fewer now than before, but um, as they grow, thanksgiving, true thankfulness, will put them in a place where they recognize how hard it is to earn this money and to support one's family. And as they recognize that, it should draw them into greater thankfulness, right? There should be this cycle of being thankful for what we have because we recognize that it doesn't come freely. And all of that thanksgiving should, by and large, be directed eventually up to God one way or another. Dependence. As Paul thanked God for what he had, he renewed in his heart the reality that he was dependent upon God for what he had. As you sit down this Thanksgiving and thank God for the food and thank God for your house and thank God for your family and thank God for your warm clothes and all that you have, it should renew in your heart the reality that you are dependent upon God for every single one of those things. That were it not for the grace of God, you would not have any of it. That's hard in a materialistic country like the United States, isn't it? Because it's all there for us. But it doesn't make it any more real that if it were not for the grace of God, you would have nothing. And by the way, the grace of God does pour itself out on the unjust and the just alike. So that secular world out there that doesn't recognize God, it's still the grace of God that has poured upon them their blessings as well. Thanksgiving is trusting. Thanksgiving is humble. Thanksgiving is 
dependent. Fourth, thanksgiving is pure. Ephesians 5, please. Thanksgiving is pure. Righteous. Right. It is good. It is virtuous in the sight of God. Look with me, beginning in verse 4. I mean, excuse me, verse 3. Let's start in verse 3. Paul says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. In Ephesians 5, Paul contrasts those things which are unrighteous and improper with that which is always right and always proper. The list, fornication, uncleanness, that would be sexual uncleanness, covetousness. These are things that are said to be unbecoming. These are things that are not becoming saints. These are things that are unbecoming as saints of God. These are things that have no place in our lives. Then Paul turns his focus specifically in the next verse on what comes out of our mouths. And he says, filthiness, that's communication that is sinful, unrighteous, dirty. Foolish talking, communication that is meaningless or empty. Jesting, communication that relies upon deceit or lies to bring about humor or to bring about its meaning. Paul says these things are are unbecoming of saints. Now, we have our times where we joke around, but, but I would encourage you to be very cautious when you joke around through deceit, when you, when you think it's funny to, to give a little lie to worry someone, or where you tell a little lie or deceive somebody in order to get a rise out of them, these sorts of things. Because Jesus Christ teaches us that our communication is to be yay, yay, and nay, nay, Right? Our yea is yea and our nay is nay. Our yes means yes. Our no means no. Somebody should be able to come up and trust us. If we say we're going to do it, we do it. If we say it's true, it's true. We shouldn't be people that are foolishly going around telling lies. We shouldn't be people that are constantly spouting out meaningless words. My daughters are in that phase right now. They'll take a good hymn and they'll put meaningless gibberish to it. And we tell them, no, 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 no. Use real words. We communicate here. Meaningless communication becomes tedious. It becomes tedious in the little girls. It becomes tedious in adults too, doesn't it? When it's like a guy can never say anything that actually has any meaning, bearing, weight, worth. You know that if it's coming out of his mouth, there's just not, not going to be a whole lot of worth to it. You don't even have to listen. You can come in one ear out the other because it's not going to be anything worth listening to. Not becoming of saints. But what does Paul say? In contrast... See, because these things, they reflect the amusements and priorities of the world. A man who doesn't care enough to be taken seriously. A man who doesn't, uh, his words don't stand on his own two feet. man who, who um, can't be taken seriously. Not the testimony as a believer. In contrast, Paul says, be people that give thanks. But rather, Giving of thanks. Thanksgiving is a pure form of communication that reflects everything that is virtuous about a believer. Everything that is right. Everything that is good. Thanksgiving ought to flow from us. It ought to be the crux, the very root of our communication to others is that we are thankful. We are thankful to God. We are thankful to God for what we are and who we are and what we have. 
We are thankful to God that we got a good night's rest last night. We are thankful to God that we got here this morning. We are thankful to God that we have vehicles that work. We're thankful to God that our children are healthy and safe. We're thankful to God that we had clothes to put on this morning, a flashy little bolo tie I'm wearing. We're thankful to God for all of these things. Giving of thanks should be a root of our communication as believers. Because thanksgiving is humble. Thanksgiving gives credit where credit is due. It shows dependence. It takes the spotlight. And where does it put it? Does thanksgiving ever put the spotlight on yourself? Not if it's real. Not if it's genuine. Now, there are those people that go around giving minor thanks so that people can thank them back. But that's not thanksgiving, is it? That's, that's, that's a, a manipulative way to get praise for themselves. But if we are truly being people who are giving thanks, then what we are doing is regularly, constantly pushing the spotlight away from us. Don't look at me. Don't praise me. Don't thank me. It's not about me. And where should we be diverting that attention? Right up to God. Be people that are defined with communication that is giving thanks to God. If you want to be a testimony of God to the world around you, develop a lifestyle of thankfulness. The world will take notice, not just of you being thankful, but of who you are thankful unto. Fifth and finally, Thanksgiving, it's trusting, it's humble, it's dependent, it's pure. Finally, it's content. Please turn with me to Philippians 4 again. We're back in Philippians 4. Right where we started. Verse 10. Paul says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now... At last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning gifts and receiving, excuse me, giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, and am, uh, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus, all things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Notice how much Paul is diverting the praise to God for that which the Philippians did on his behalf. But as we look at these verses, it's the only passage we'll look at today where the word thanks is not actually in it. But it shouldn't confuse us because the passage is dripping with thanks, thankfulness, is it not? Paul is thankful for the kind and loving church in Macedonia who faithfully supplied his needs, but he's thankful to God for that church, that God laid it upon their hearts, that God has provided for him through them. And then verse 19, notice what he says, but my God shall supply all your needs 
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Paul isn't writing chapter 4 to thank the church as much as he's writing chapter 4 to remind the church that God used them to provide for him. The church at Philippi didn't provide for Paul. Sure, they, they were the ones that put the money down, but God provided for Paul through the church of Philippi. You don't provide for your pastor. Did you know that? God provides for your pastor through you. God uses you. And when you are a usable vessel to God, then God is praised and you are blessed. That's how this works. Your father, he doesn't provide for your family. God provides for your family and uses your father to do it. Your doctor didn't make you well. God made you well and used a doctor to do it. This is the perspective. This is the philosophy. And it's not just about what we see. It's about the very root of how we think about what we have. Thanksgiving is rooted in the reality that God is the one who has provided all things. And see, let me, let me show you where this puts us. We don't have a good offering some month. We can't pay our bills. Pastor's salary is reduced. I don't have to worry about it. Because God is the one that pays my salary, not the church. If God didn't provide everything through the church one month, then He's going to provide it in another way. He will take care of my family because God takes care of my family. And He uses me to do it as I'm willing. And He uses the church to do it as you are willing. But just like in Esther, where Mordecai looks at his niece and says, if you will not go before the king, God will send someone else to deliver us. But perhaps God has brought you to this place and to this time for such a time as this. So too, God has brought us to this place for such a time as this. So fathers, God is using you in a magnificent way to care for your family. But God is caring for your family. God has used the health care in this country in a magnificent way to keep us all healthy. But God has kept us healthy. God has provided for all of our needs. And so when we get sick, God hasn't forsaken us. God has simply chosen and we can rest in that. And if He wants to make us well, He will. And He might use as a doctor and He might not. And we can rest in that because God is the one who provides. And we can be thankful to Him. If we can foster this concept of thanksgiving to God, it will change our lives. Instead of saying, I lost my job, I'm in trouble, we'll say, I lost my job, I wonder how God will provide for me now. That's contentment. Instead of saying, the doctors can't heal me, I have no hope, we'll say, the doctors can't heal me, if God wants me healed, I wonder how He's going to do it. That's contentment. Instead of saying, I don't have the money for the thing I want, so I'll go into debt, or I'll steal, or I'll neglect my family and work two jobs for it, I'll rather say, my God can supply all my needs. If He wants me to have it, He will give it to me. I don't need to compromise what I know of the Word of God to get what I want. It's all a philosophy of life. A worldview that says, God is my provider. All things come from Him. And so as I'm thankful to Him, as I recognize Him as my provider... I can rest. I can be content. Thankfulness, ladies and gentlemen, will change your 
life. Because when we recognize the true source of all that we have, we will begin to recognize that God is not limited by man's means of obtaining things. God is not limited by doctors. He's not limited by our bank account. He's not limited by our job. He's not limited by our government. Do we need to be good stewards? Do we need to obey? Do we need to be uh, good stewards of our money, of our health? Yes, we do. God's not going to, to, to uh, reach down and, and undo our selfish mistakes every time. He's going to let us suffer the consequences. But if we're doing what He has asked us to do, we don't have to worry that, that fate is going to deal us a bad hand. Because God is in control. If we will only remain obedient to God's word, He will take care of the rest. And so we're not worried about this church. Because this is God's church. It isn't you and I who keep us in this building with a pastor, with lights and heat and chairs. God has used you and I to keep us in this building with a pastor, with lights and chairs and heat. And it's wonderful to be freed from the idea that our circumstances are on our own shoulders. We don't need to be like the world. We don't fearfully need to, uh, to spend, spend our time fearfully trusting um, in the solutions of mankind to get us what we want. We can trust contentedly in the Lord. Now, again, please don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that every man in the church quits his job because God will provide. I'm not telling you to never see a doctor because God will provide. What I am telling you is that God has provided through your job, through your doctor. It's God's provision. It's not you. It's not them. It's God. But we do run the risk of then trusting in that job, don't we? Trusting in that doctor to an unhealthy degree. And this is summed up by our Lord in Matthew chapter 6. This will be the last passage we turn to. Please turn with me to Matthew 6. I invite you to follow along with me as I read. I'll begin in verse 25. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment, for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles, the world around you, that's what they seek after. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Thanksgiving, not the holiday, the concept, reminds you that God has provided 
And as we see Him provide, we are reminded that He will continue to provide. So we, far from being anxious, proud, self-reliant, and improper and discontent, are reminded in thanksgiving to rest in God. But notice what the world around us has done to this particular holiday. How much do you actually hear about Thanksgiving nowadays? What is it you hear about coming up this week? Black Friday, right? That's what I hear about. Or Turkey Day. Might be Turkey Day. Or a little bit of Black Friday, right? It's either Turkey Day or it's Black Friday. Not a lot of Thanksgiving floating around. What is Thanksgiving in a nation other than the day before Black Friday anymore? What is Thanksgiving in this nation other than a day to gorge on the fruit of our own disgusting wealth and prosperity, looking forward to putting ourselves into debt for more? Can you see how Satan has taken this holiday of Thanksgiving and completely inverted it? The day that is intended to be a day where we look to God and say, God, in contentment, thank you for all I have. To God, in discontentment, I need more. How can I get more? Where can I find more? Do you see how Satan has made a day intended to focus upon the joy of trust and humility and dependence and purity that comes from God and has made it a day of pride and of independence and of impurity and of discontentment? The day is defined by the very deepest expressions of materialism and selfishness, whereas it's a day intended to be defined by the very deepest expressions of humble thanksgiving. And so it is in the world but not among you and I. In this country, the holiday of Thanksgiving has been overrun by sin, but it need not be in our lives. It need not be in our families. And as with every other aspect of this Christian life, we have the opportunity within the context of this day that is coming on Thursday called Thanksgiving to reflect praise unto whom praise is due. Perhaps you will be with unbelieving family or friends this Thursday. Perhaps you will hear this filthy talk, this foolish talking, this jesting. But you can be thankful. Instead of the filthy talking and the foolish talking and the foolish jesting, you can be giving thanks. Perhaps you have, as you've heard this message, realized that you've been living a life that's a little bit too dependent upon you. A life that is too dependent upon you and your job, you and your doctors, you and your abilities, you and your provisions, you and your bank account. You work your job like your family's welfare depends on you. You wor worry about your health like it depends upon you. You amass material possessions like your contentment depends upon what you have in this world. May I encourage you to allow this time of thanksgiving. And it's a right thing to do. We ought to be thankful year-round. But this time where we take time out of our week, time out of our year, to focus in on thanksgiving and allow it to be a time of thanksgiving to God. And as you do so, 
Allow God and His Word to reform your mind, to remind you that all you have is from God and that God has promised to supply all your needs. Matthew 6.33 But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these other things, they'll be added unto you. You'll be provided for if you will seek the Lord. May I encourage you to embody the character of true thanksgiving, true thankfulness unto God this week. And in doing so, watch as the character of thanksgiving, the character of thankfulness begins to become your character. And it will do so to the glory of God. Let's pray.